Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 40 verse 3 says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Psalm 42 verse 11, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become restless and disquieted within me? Hope in God and wait expectantly for him, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. When you offer praise to the Lord, his power manifests in your life. Miracles happen. When you praise God, you come closer to him. You become close to him. He inhabits the praises of his people. You want to feel his presence in your life then praise him. Praise the Lord at all times and bless his holy name. Well, I praise him. I praise him for my home, for my wife, family, sons, daughter-in-laws, grandson, our furry kids, our possessions, everything that we have. I praise him. I praise him for his provision and protection over each and every one of us, for the dreams and the visions, for the promises being fulfilled, for his healing virtues, that are still available to each and every one of us. I praise him for favor and revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times, although they can be challenging, if you look at them with spiritual eyes, you'll see things differently. I praise him for the signs that I believe he's getting ready to return. I wish I could tell you when so that you have your bags packed, but I don't know. So I tell you to be like the Book of Acts Church. Keep one eye on the sky and one eye on the calling, and get ready. Let's pray. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. So, Father, we pray for Jerusalem. We pray for Israel. We pray for you, both your children and your church. Protect them. Keep them from harm. And, Lord, deal with their enemies. Pray for America. I try to pray each and every day, and I do, but it's been really difficult lately because what I see happening in America tells me, just like with what we're going to talk about with Jericho, that God may be beginning to act very soon on America. So I just pray that he would shed his grace on thee and that he would have mercy on us. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the persecuted, the martyred, the innocents, those that are victims of injustice. We can't ever forget them. We can't ever become complacent about them. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both animal and human, the missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, everything the enemy is doing in that regard. Though I read stories every day about people being found, I know that thousands more are missing. Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. The acts of religious persecution and anti-Semitism seem to grow every day. The boldness of the spirit of the Antichrist 
seems to stand out, but I won't back down. I will keep praying. I pray for divine wholeness and health and continued healing as each and every one of us get back to our divine design. If you're struggling right now in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, if you are being afflicted by infirmity or injury or emotional trauma, I sincerely pray right now that the Shekinah glory of God shine down upon you, the balm of Gilead from the throne room flow out upon you, and that the Spirit of the living God touch you and heal you in Yeshua's name. I pray for protection, that's Psalm 91 covering, for inspiration, the fire of the Holy Spirit to rise up, to wake up the remnant. The people would answer the call to action. For those who are called to bless, that they would bless and be a blessing. That the doors would open that we need opened, not just with Firefall and SRT and and the porch and all the things we're doing from the documentary and other things, but for each and every one of you that have a kingdom calling to do something for the kingdom of God. I'm praying that the the wealth of the wicked be stored up for the righteous and to flow out, and those that God has given his funds would let them flow to those that want to do the job, that we would prosper in accordance with his word, that the open conduits would just start maybe with a trickle, but the faucet would be wide open. And that we would be able to do everything, all the dreams, all the visions, all the missions, and also be a part of getting our lost family members saved. So, Father, I just pray right now that you would do that, that you'd heal us, that you'd deliver us, that you'd save us, that you'd send your spirit right now to all those that are suffering and that are crying out to you or whose hearts are broken or their marriages are are fractured or, or relationships are fractured that those that are sick in mind, body, or spirit would be healed. Those that are lost would be saved. Those that are wandered off, you send an angel to go get them, or Lord, you yourself leave the 99 to go get the one. I pray that we would begin to walk in the fullness of who he is as an example to this world, that the Spirit of the living God would flow through each and every one of us. So right now, Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Take over this time on the porch. Begin to touch your children, clear their minds, open their hearts. Let your spirit flow. Lord, maybe maybe somebody out there has not been filled with the with your gifts and your fruit. Just fill them right now. Fill them from the top of the, their heads to the bottom of their feet, overflowing, spilling out, pressed together onto their bosoms so that they can share with others. So we clear our minds. We take our thoughts captive to the obedience of of Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah and we cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself against the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Abba Father. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you for what you're doing now and we thank you for coming back to take us home with you, to rescue us. You've prepared a place for us, and now we want to be with you. We want to feast with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But until that time, let your Holy Spirit rise up in us. Let your word come forth. Let let us live it out. Let us do what you've called us to do so that when we feast, we'll know that we did the job. Bless this time, bless this technology, and bless all that are listening. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, let your kingdom come and rule on earth as it does in heaven. Lead us. Lead us away from the snares and the temptations of the evil one's kingdom. For yours is the kingdom we seek, its power and its glory. We desire it forever and ever. His kingdom. You know, he's been building a kingdom since early on, but definitely once he claimed Israel as his children, and he sent them to the promised land, 12 tribes intended to be a kingdom for the Lord God. And within those tribes, there were clans and there were families. And they were all like a living organism, cell upon cell, built together. A kingdom built by the Lord God, intended to by man. We serve him, but it's his. It's all his. But the one thing about doing that and walking with him is we walk by faith and not by sight. If you try to walk by sight, if you try to look through your natural eyes, you're going to be tripped up. You're going to be distracted. Israel's process began in the wilderness, but it began to be set in motion in Jericho. Jericho, a large, thriving city, even for a, a millennia. First mentioned in the Exodus from Egypt, considered to be the oldest city in the world, which means Jericho was the city before the flood, most likely inhabited then by the Nephilim as it was when Israel showed up. Jericho guarded the two most important entrances into the heart of the hill country. To get to where they were going, they were going to have to go through Jericho. To get to where you're going and to the promises, you may have to go through your own Jericho. And if Israel didn't conquer this city, everything from that point on would be so much harder. They had to conquer Jericho first. The Battle of Jericho and Armageddon are symbolic of one another. They symbolize the opening assault establishing God's chosen people in an occupied territory, driving out the demonic, detestable influence of the previous occupants. And I'm not talking about political parties. Jericho, (laughs) going to get in trouble with that one. Jericho is considered the most invulnerable fortress in all of Canaan. Yeah, it hadn't seen the children of God. It not had seen it had not seen the Lord God Almighty. It's about to, it's about to fall into the hands of God's chosen people through supernatural intervention. Go with me to Joshua chapter six. We'll pick back up, kind of do a recap, and then get into it. We're going to finish the Battle of Jericho tonight. Now Jericho, a fortified city with high walls, was tightly closed up. Because of the people's fear of the sons of Israel, no one went out or came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the mighty warriors, the mighty men of valor. Now you shall march around the city, all of the men of war circling the city once. You shall do this once each day for six days. Now I've mentioned to you already the The site of Jericho is less than a half mile in circumference, only about seven acres. So to march around the city would not have taken too long. And I saw some discussion on this on the Internet. People were confusing with the walled-in fortress of Jericho with the actual surrounding areas of the the villages and the little other towns. But the primary city of Jericho behind the walls was really not all that big. I mean, the the walls were big, but inside of it, like I said, it's only about seven acres. Seven priests shall carry seven trumpets made of ram's horns ahead of the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall cry out with a great shout, And the wall of the city will fall down in its place. And the people shall go up, each man going straight ahead, climbing over the rubble. So Joshua the son of Nun called for the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trump made of ram's horns. We call them shofars. Ahead of the Ark of the Lord. 
And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men go ahead of the ark. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests, carrying seven trumpets made of ram's horn, went on before the Lord and blew the trumpets. Then the ark of the covenant went behind them. The armed men went in front of the priest who blew the trumpets, and a rear guard came after the ark while the priest continued to blow the trumpets. Now, I think if you hear this one time, first time they're doing this, they're looking at from the top of the walls, and they see this army walk around. They got the Ark of the Covenant. They've heard about that. And you have a army in front, rear guard in the back. You have these priests, and they're blowing the Tekea blast, that one long screaming blast. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout the battle cry, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. Now, remember, Joshua's leading them. He's in there with them. So Joshua had the ark of the Lord taken around the city on the first day, circling it once. And then they came back into the camp and spent the night in the camp. I don't know what the people of Jericho or the armies and the kings and those that have showed up to fight with them against this army that they've heard about that has crossed the Red Sea, that had crossed the Jordan, that conquered the kings, two kings before them, one of them being Og, a giant, slowly, deliberately, silently. They walk around the walls, and then they go back to their camps. They don't speak. They don't say a word. The priest blowing the horns, military honor guard, and the Lord is in the midst of them. Going down to verse 12, Then Joshua got up early in the morning on the second day, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets made of ram's horn, ahead of the ark of the Lord, and went on continually blowing the trumpets, And the armed men went ahead of them. The rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued to blow the trumpets. And on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. Silent, not a word. They did this for six days. Six is the number of man, and on six days, they did man's work. Now, by this time, the king and the armies and the people of Jericho, they don't know what's going on. They don't know when they're going to be attacked. They've heard about this army. They've heard about what the Lord has done for them. They're probably getting a little nervous. They're probably talking amongst themselves. The pressure is building up. But we've done it man's way. Now we're going to do it God's way because on the seventh day, They got up early at daybreak and marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day when they marched around the city seven times, and on the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And they shouted, and they gave this battle cry, and I believe the Lord has shown me what happened at that moment when he showed me about sound and the power of sound and how he spoke everything into existence by the sound of his voice and how he holds everything together by the sound of his voice, that between the seventh time they were sanctified. On that seventh day they were sanctified, and when they blew the trumpets and they shouted, the voices that came out of them were like his voice. And it caused the stone and the mortar and the bars and everything that was holding Jericho together to completely come apart and to fall straight down into the ground. The city and everything that is in it shall be under the ban. It's been designated as a form of tribute. Only Rahab the prostitute and all the people who are in our house shall be allowed to live because she hid and protected the messengers. But as for you, keep yourselves away from all the things under the ban which are to be destroyed so that you do not covet them and take some of those things under the ban for personal gain. 
and put the camp of Israel under a curse, doomed to destruction and bring disaster on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are wholly consecrated to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury. So they shouted the battle cry, the trumpets are blown, the shofars are blowing, and the walls of Jericho fall. And the sons of Israel, the armies of God, walked right up into the city, straight ahead, climbing over the rubble, and they overthrew the city. They utterly destroyed everything that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old. Ox, sheep, donkey, everything was destroyed with the edge of a sword. Seven priests, seven shofars, resonating the sound of God around seven acres and seven times on the seventh day. So much happened there. I would love to be able to see it, hear it, feel it. But the sound of the shofar let them know that God's presence and Jericho's impending doom was upon them. The Takea, one long blast, usually a summons to worship, a war, a wake-up call. When I blow my shofar, I tend to blow the Takea. That's what I blow, that long blast. That on good days, I can hold it for a while, and it'll resonate, and I could feel in every cell of my body. Completion. That's what seven signifies. It's used here to demonstrate that the conquest of Jericho, which was just the beginning of a larger spiritual effort, that it sanctified the people in the land for God, that phase one of their journey was complete. Took a long time to get there. Forty years, actually. Took a new generation of warriors being raised up and ready to fight the Lord's battles his way. Called and chosen by the Lord as mighty men of valor, set apart those who would not doubt, those who would do what they were told without question. Chosen to fight a battle that cannot be fought in the natural. It was a supernatural battle in which they would participate. Taking down a fortified cities whose walls were so high up that they could not be scaled. There was no way in the natural that Jericho could fall. And it didn't fall in any way in the natural. It wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't an underground cavern that, that opened up and, and the walls fell straight down. It doesn't matter what the secular historians say. I mean, it really doesn't matter what the secular historians say. I know what the word says. The walls came tumbling down, straight down, and they walked right in. Jericho was under a divine ban. It was cursed as all Jerichos should be. The Hebrew word for accursed is translated as doomed to destruction. Accursed or cursed that appears two verses five times. In these two verses five times, the city of Jericho along with its inhabitants and everything in it was to be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord and as an example to the enemy. I know to the natural mind this seems harsh, but we're not dealing with natural things. We're dealing with supernatural things. And because God wanted his children to keep itself undefiled in order to reflect his holiness, they were banned from taking any spoils of war. He also needed to make sure that they would not be tempted by the pagan worship practices of the Canaanites nor the demonic infection of sin. Now, we do know that they do eventually become infected by it. But at this exact moment, everything's going to plan. Everything's going according to plan. Everything's going according to the prophecies spoken by Moses, spoken by Joshua. All of 
any value in that city. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, all belong to the Lord. They were his first fruits of this victory, of this harvest. So when the people shouted the battle cry and the priests blew the trumpets, the people of Jericho heard this, and the, the Israelites heard the sound of the trumpet and they raised up a great shout and the walls of Jericho fell, fell down and everything was utterly destroyed. I don't want you to forget this. I want you to see the visual in your head. I think this is a foreshadowing of battles to come. I think things are going to happen on this earth in the near future. The return of the days of Noah. When supernatural battles will be fought. Israel's fought them the Six-Day War. They should have been destroyed by the forces that were against them. And they miraculously won in six days and rested on the seventh. The Holman Bible Handbook says that the organization of the march placed the ark at the center of the parade, and the ark indicated that God was in their midst as he was when they crossed the Jordan. No traditional military general could have accepted such a plan, but Joshua was not counting on human ingenuity. He had been prepared for this as Moses' understudy, and I believe that the purpose of this strategy was to test their faith and their patience. Would they do what they were told? And by faith, the walls collapsed. At least that's what Hebrew 11.30 says. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Sometimes... We need experiential knowledge to bolster our faith. This is an experience that would bolster their faith for years to come. The Barnes notes on the Old Testament says various attempts have been made to explain the fall of Jericho by natural causes, the undermining of the walls or by an earthquake or a sudden assault. But the narrative of this chapter does not afford the slightest warrant for any such explanations. Indeed, it's totally inconsistent with them. It must be taken as it stands, and so taken it intends, beyond all doubt, to narrate a miracle rather than a series of miracles. Because the facts are, nothing but a direct miracle of the Lord God could in a week's time give a city like Jericho's lofty walls, impenetrable, guarded, locked down, be given into the hands of Joshua and the Israelites. Barnes Notes goes on to say the trumpets borne by the priests were seven in number. The procession around Jericho was made on seven days, seven times on the seventh day laying a stress on the sacred number of seven, which is an emblem more specifically of the work of God. The ark of God, the seed of his special presence, carried around the city. I believe personally, just from the way I think, this is an in-your-face to the enemy. This is an in-your-face to the demons that are watching, to the princes and the principalities that are watching. All of these calculated to set forth symbolically in a mode to sure to arrest the attention of the people and that the fact that the triumph was wholly due to the might of the Lord and to the covenant that he had made with them to make their cause his. You know, sometimes I, we fight battles and we think it's our battle. I do not believe the Lord fights our battles for us. I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the creative power of the universe, he's given us the authority to do them. But I believe that he wants to be a part of it. I believe you have to make him a part of what you're doing. Just like with Jericho, you've got to walk the walk. You've got to be quiet when you're told to be quiet. You've got to shout when you're told to shout. You've got to carry his presence with you. If you do those things, the efforts 
that he tells you to do will be supernaturally empowered. And I find it interesting that it is estimated that to circle the entire city seven times probably took an entire day from sunup to sundown. Which means that Jericho was defeated and the people slaughtered at the end of the seventh day, which would have been the Sabbath. And you say, wait a second, they were fighting on the Sabbath. Isn't that against the law? First of all, he's the God of the law. But rest came when he said rest would come. And no one was left alive in Jericho. No one except Rahab and her family, those in her household. Which, by the way, their apartment or whatever they lived in didn't collapse from the wall, fell flat. Everything fell around them. They were not harmed. See, even in supernatural destruction, he can offer supernatural protection. And nothing was taken as a spoil of war. Now, I know you may question the appropriateness of such a near-total extermination of a population. But you have to think about the Canaanites and who they were and why he was destroying them. You have to remember what I said. This is the oldest, one of the oldest cities in the world, which means it was antediluvian. It was from before the flood. There were Nephilim in the land. There were giants in the land. The demonic presence and the demonic practices, we can only imagine. We just know that Canaanite sin was so pervasive and debauched and demonic that it was historic. That had to go. Also, it was the fulfillment of prophecy Canaan had divine condemnation against it. You see that Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 and 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, you are about to enter and occupy. He will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous numerous than you. And when the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. The time of their judgment had come. And because such wickedness could only spell spiritual disaster for the Israelites, nothing short of total cleansing, extermination would suffice. If we jump down to Deuteronomy 7, verses 23 through 26, But the Lord your God will hand them over to you. He will throw them into complete confusion until they are destroyed. He will put their kings in your power, and you will erase their names from the face of the earth. No one will be able to stand against you, and you will destroy them all. You must burn their idols in the fire, You must not covet the silver or the gold that covers them. You must not take it, or it will become a trap to you, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring any detestable objects into your home, for then you will be destroyed just like them. You must utterly detest such things, for they are set apart to destruction. If only we could think that way today. This was to prevent Israel from endangering its covenant relationship with the God, the Lord God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, if they made a treaty with the Canaanite nations, it would undermine God's covenant with Israel. But we know historically in the future they will do exactly that. They will intermarry, intermingle, and they will forget all these prohibitions. And it will send them into slavery because God will remove his hand of protection from them. 
I'm going to say something, and I know some of you may not agree, and I know many of the ear ticklers out there won't agree, but I believe right now, on March 3rd, December, I mean March 3rd of 2021, we have lost God's favor. We are a nation in turmoil. We accept the ways and the sins of Jericho as if they're nothing. We murder babies in the womb. We offer them up to Moloch. We mistreat people. We don't take care of the elderly. We don't do what we were told to do. We do everything. We come into covenant relationship with the fallen. We have defied Scripture. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 15. Do not be unequally bound together with unbelievers. Do not make mismatched alliances with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership can righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony can there be between, be between Messiah and Belial, who is Satan, Hasatan, the adversary, Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. The church isn't all that different than the world right now. There are pockets. There are pockets of remnants. There are pockets of people that will not compromise. There are pockets of people that will not bend their knee to to the bales. But then there are others that have completely sold out to it. They're going along to getting along. Sin has never talked about righteousness as a forgotten thought. Living in accordance with the word doesn't even enter their mind. And as we listen to the story of Jericho, it's worth remembering that according to Genesis 9, verse 18 and 10, verse 6, Canaan was the son of Ham, one of the three sons of Noah. And out of that came the Hamedic descent and the sons of Canaan. Sidon, Heth, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergeshites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Amorites, and Hamathites, all of these ites came from Ham. All of these people, unholy, ungodly, influenced by Egypt, with practices that go all the way back to Babylon and Mesopotamia, unholy and profane, came from someone who should have known better, someone who had experienced the grace and the glory of the Lord God, someone who had seen what he could do and simply forgot, simply ignored it. And due to their religious, demonic, moral perversity, The Canaanites had to be driven out of the land. And not only did these nations deserve judgment, but Israel couldn't compromise their faith. Now, I'm not telling you to live under the law. It's impossible to do so. But if you love your Heavenly Father, don't you want to please Him? Don't you want to live in a way that pleases him? Or do you always want to test his mercy and his grace? Well, I know this much. His grace is still amazing, and his mercy is anew every morning. But if you begin to practice presumptuous sin, doing things you know to be wrong and doing them anyway, he will allow things to happen in your life to get your attention. And if he can't get your attention, he'll allow things to happen that'll cause you to have to lie down and be carried by him. I think it's time for the church, especially the remnant, to wake up and realize that we cannot live with darkness. We can't partner with wickedness. We can't try to be in harmony with things of the devil and the fallen. We can't partner with an ungodly, unholy world. He said to utterly destroy them. Man, woman, children, animal, put to death. 
Extreme? Yeah, it seems extreme. But we need to keep in mind the Canaanites deserve to die for their sins against God, for who they were, their hatred against God, and that they were a moral cancer, introducing idolatry and immorality everywhere they went and would have spread rapidly amongst the Israelites. Well, as I worked on this today, I finally figured out where the Lord was going. And the one thing about my relationship with him, I'm on a need-to-know basis. He tells me what I need to know when I need to know it. And what he showed me, and I'm going to back that up here in a second, is that the sins of Jericho and the influence of the Canaanites never stopped. Romans 1, verses 21 through 32 give you an example. In the time of Rome, in the time of today, Paul writing this, that could be about Jericho itself. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Heck, now you can even watch it on Netflix or, or YouTube or, or Prime or anywhere. You can watch it on TV. People doing what I'm talking about here, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Hey, if this is what you want, you can have it. He did it in the time of Noah. You want the fallen angels? You want their influence? You want what they want to give you? That's fine. I'll just sit back and watch. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. And the lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invented new ways of sinning, and they disobeyed their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do such things deserve to die, just like they did in Jericho. Yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Matter of fact, they pass laws now, and they make you do these things. They tell you that it is now lawful to be sinful and to deny God. We have people in politics that say the will of God has no bearing on what they think or what they do. Somebody needs to send them the story of Jericho. Remember, these Canaanites were the people that lived by the sea. And they traveled. And they were known later as the Phoenicians. The Greek gave them that name. Their largest cities were Tyre and Sidon. Toward the end of the 11th century B.C., they began to establish colonies in the West. Listen to what I'm saying here. The Canaanites became known as the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians then were seafarers, and they spread through international trade to other parts of the world. And they established colonies in Cyprus, Sicily, Sardinia, which is believed to be the biblical Tarsus, Malta, southern Spain, and northern Africa. They soon created an empire for themselves, but like most empires, 
forged by war. There was built on trade, a commercial empire, financial empire that would last for nearly a millennium. The word that we use for Canaan now is just a border term for present-day Israel, Syria, and Jordan. The Phoenicians were who the Canaanites became. International, financial, ongoing influence all over the world. They worshipped the same gods, Baal. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess. She was the one who imported the devotion of Baal to Israel. If you follow some of the things I write about or used to teach about on Reflections in the Dark and Overwatch, we talk about the powers that be. We talk about the financial powers that be. And we know some of the names. We, we know who the, the main players are. Then we know that above them are the Rothschild. They control all the banks. But I've always known that there was somebody above the Rothschilds. There was somebody unknown, hidden at the top of the food chain that ruled all the money in the world, that controlled trillions of dollars, trillions upon trillions of dollars. Well, recently I found out who those people are. They are the original 13 Phoenician families, tracing back to these people, tracing back to Canaan, tracing back to Jericho. They're the ones who pull the strings. They're the ones who make the decisions. That influence is pervasive, and it's ongoing. Jericho serves as a reminder, but also as a prelude of God's final annihilation of evil. Joshua is an archetype of the Messiah, and Jericho is symbolic of the powers opposed to the Messiah. It's both prophecy in action and prophecy to be fulfilled. Why am I sharing this with you? Beside the fact that you should know these things, they're historical, they're biblical, they're in the Word, I want you to start seeing world events through a different set of eyes. The porch has always been about opening your eyes to see in two worlds, to see what can't be seen. It's about illumination. It's about changing the way you think. It's about waking up the remnant who wants to be like the mighty men of valor, like the people of valor. Draw a line in the sand and say no more. We will stand with the living God and we will stand according to his ways or we won't stand at all. Our Heavenly Father is a holy God, always a loving God. You know me, I talk about it all the time. I love my Abba Father, and I know that he loves me, but I also know he's a holy God. He's a moral God. And his morality and his holiness makes demands of us. He doesn't like sin. Not just because it's rebellion against him, but because of what it does to his children. He hates divorce. Why? Because the two people that have joined together on a DNA, even a cellular spiritual level, suddenly are ripped apart, creating gaping wounds that only partially heal. Excuse me. They never completely heal. His wrath against such things are clearly evident in the world around us. He gives people time to repent. He gives time for his church and his people to do something about it. And then finally, he does something about it himself. I believe that all people in their hearts know that God exists. At least most do. Some are completely delusional and they think they came out of primordial sludge. And the fact that some of them look like they came out of primordial sludge probably emphasizes that point, but it's not true. We all have a hole in our hearts that only he can fill. And people try to fill it with with drugs or sex or booze or whatever. 
And we also know about his moral requirements. I was talking to a brother today about the things I did before I'd gotten saved, and lately they've been coming to mind, and I've been talking to the Lord about them, and I knew they were wrong, and I did them anyway. Why? Because I wanted to. Maybe they made me feel good. Maybe they were a part of my uh, rebellion. They were definitely a part of my demonic bondage and what was in me from my ancestry, but the point is I knew they were wrong. When I hurt others, I knew I was hurting others. I just didn't care. My heart had grown grown cold, and the more I got into the occult and the darker I became, the colder my heart became until he woke it back up again and gave me back my life, my soul, my family. But the terrible truth is I'm just one of millions that were like that. The terrible truth is people continue to reject God. They continue to ignore that nagging in their hearts. And the enemy knows that. And that's why he's indoctrinating them younger and younger to accept sin and and debauchery and and the things that I would never have survived had they been available to me when I was a young person. And then eventually just gives them over to their immoral and self-destructive activities. That's why it's our job to do something about it. That's why it's our job to tell them about a Messiah. It's our job to understand Jericho and what went on there so that we can show people, hey, this is happening again. The church is at their Jericho moment. This is our time to cross over. This is our time to do something about the darkness in the land. But it seems like the enemy is so inbred in our society, and I mean that literally inbred, that we see what the end result was in John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. There, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Messiah. But anyone who does not believe in Messiah has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, unless it's a camera, for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they're, that they're doing, what God wants. We need to be open about it. We need to be doing those things in public. Even saying in the midst of a demonic situation, using the name, speaking the name of Yeshua, binding the enemy, using the authority given to us. But the other thing about Jericho I want you to understand is the power of agreement is evidenced in the battle of Jericho. An agreement between the Lord God and Israel and the one that Israel made with Rahab. Remember in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. And the two spies says, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Ah, what a concept. People keeping their word. Psalm 15 says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord, who may enter your presence on your holy hill, those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts, those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends, those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and keep their promises even when it hurts those who lend money without charging interest and who cannot be bribed to lie about the innocent, such people will stand firm forever. Ecclesiastes 5.5 says, It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Well, they kept their promise. Joshua made sure of it. He reminded them of it. When he said, when you go in to the harlot's house, make sure you bring out the woman and all that is his as you swore to her. 
And they did. They went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all that she had, so that they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that it was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, and she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God's grace saved Rahab. And his act of grace to her and his destruction to the rest are equally important. Even in a place of pervasive sin that deserved judgment, his grace was present because Rahab was important to him. He had a plan for her. She became one of the heroes of faith. She became part of the ancestral line of Yeshua. So what can I say about the battle of Jericho that we should remember? Well, finish the job. Honor him and keep his word. If you follow up and go on to chapter 7 of Joshua, you'll see what happens when they don't, when they don't listen, when they steal, when they plunder. God will destroy those. And if we don't drive sin out, sin will drive us out. And if we don't destroy our lust, our lust will destroy our soul. We cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. If we want to be a friend of the world, we make ourselves an enemy of God. As James says in 4.4, and he uses the Old Testament term for those who break their vows to love and serve God. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses, having an illicit affair with the world and being estranged and hostile towards God. Strongholds like Jericho are being erected by the enemy all the time. And we should still be knocking them down with his power. Father, I come to you now in the name, power, and glory of your son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. I want you, I'm asking you to point out the Jerichos in our life things that we have allowed to persist, that we've come into agreement with. Maybe it's ways of thinking. Maybe it's the way we act. Maybe it's, it's whatever it is. Holy Spirit, you can bring it to mind so they can be torn down and utterly destroyed. Show us areas where we've compromised with the world, where we've come into covenant with the Canaanite spirit that infiltrates this planet, who we know traces back to Hasatan the fallen, the demonic offspring. Lord, stir up your people. Stir up the fire that's inside of them. Give them a hunger for you and a desire to save the lost. Give them a desire to help and find and save the Rahabs of the world that have found you in the darkness but don't completely know you. Help us to stand. Help us to be obedient. If ever there was a time that we needed this experience in our life, we need it now. We need to know you in this way. We need to know you in your power. We need to know you in your love and your majesty. We need to know you in your holiness and your righteousness. We just need to know you. Utterly, intimately, completely enveloped in you. I just pray, Lord, that, that your word comes alive in your people. And that you stir them up to action. So that we can do what you've called us to do. Destroy the enemy. Go through the promised land and prepare for your return. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.